Welcome to the Surge Strength Podcast, powered by Ritter Sports Performance. This podcast is dedicated to helping swim coaches and swimmers learn how to properly implement dry land and strength training programs that result in moving better, reducing injuries, and swimming faster. Let's join your host, Chris Ritter. Welcome back to the Surge Strength Podcast, everyone. Hope you're doing well. I have to say, this article uh, that ran on Slim Swim a little bit ago really caught my eye. And I was like, I need to talk about this on the podcast a little bit. So the article is titled, China's Pre-Competition Fitness Test Reportedly Here to Stay. So if you haven't heard about this, the Chinese Swimming Championships are going on right now. And what they're doing is actually having a pre-competition fitness test where there's a number of different tests that the athletes have to go through. I think it's one, two, three, four or five tests, and they score them zero to 10. And they're taking the top eight athletes that have the best scores from an athleticism standpoint. So some of these tests are vertical jumps, pull-ups, a 3,000 meter run, and that's how they're determining who's swimming in the finals. So obviously just on the basic level, it's pretty ridiculous to say, athletes, you need to be good in a sport, even though you're competing in D sport. Like, so I understand that. But what I wanted to drill down on is actually a few things that may be kind of getting lost in the silliness of this. Number one, when you actually look at the the tests, so it's interesting here. If you, I did some digging and I found how they're actually grading it. It actually isn't very even at all. So for the vertical jump test, the highest score that you can get, the males only have to jump 21 inches and the women only have to jump 19. Now, I don't know if you know much about uh, strength and conditioning performance tests, but in terms of the athletic world, that's not very good at all. But yet for pull-ups to get a top score, for males, you have to get more than 40 and females, you have to get 35. Now, I'm assuming those are going to be strict quote-unquote pull-ups with no type of kipping all the way up and down each time. And that's actually that's actually a fairly elite level to have that, especially with the females being at 35. And the 3,000-meter run, that's actually a pretty elite time too, where for 3,000 meters, males are having to run 11 minutes and the females are having to run 11 and a half to get that. So what besides the test just being not even all level in terms of how they're scoring them. I think a big thing all swim coaches, swimmers, parents of swimmers need to understand is, yes, if we can get you to become a better athlete, it gives you the ability to be a better swimmer in the water. That's what we talk about all the time with surge strength, build better athletes to generate faster swimmers. But what that does not mean is that you need to be at a quote unquote elite level of strength and athleticism to be an elite swimmer. In fact, I've seen it many times where some of the best swimmers in the world, world record holders, were not the best athletes. And so where we're coming from it in terms of a dryland perspective is if we can just get you a little bit better, because let's say most swimmers on the athleticism scale, they're probably going to fall on uh, middle to less than athletic. And so if we can just move that a little bit, that opens up so much more potential in the water. What it's not saying and what we do not promote is saying everybody needs to turn into the most elite athlete possible. So again, these pull-ups here, yes, they're, they're pretty hard. And honestly, if you go 
from taking a swimmer from zero to five pull-ups. That can be game-changing. It can be absolutely game-changing for the swimmer, especially if it's a female and they get to five pull-ups. That can just be incredible for their psyche as well as their strength, power, and endurance that they can display in the water. If we're getting the female or a male, it doesn't really matter, going from 30 to 35 pull-ups or 35 to 40 pull-ups, you're getting diminishing returns at that point. And in some ways, you're going to have to probably work a lot harder. So we really want to go after the low-hanging fruit in dryland. And I'm not sure how many people will look at an article like this and it somehow maybe turns them off a little bit on dryland. And maybe they're and hopefully they're just focusing on the silliness of how the Chinese are implementing this. But what I don't want it to happen is for coaches swimmer to say, that's ridiculous. Dryland has no correlation with swimming, which isn't true. If you especially just get swimmers a little bit more athletic, it greatly helps them. But the elite athleticism, the difference between an athlete doing 38 pull-ups and 40 pull-ups that's probably not going to make the biggest difference in the world that you're going to see in the water. But getting an athlete from zero to five to 10 pull-ups, that can be huge in terms of their level of development and the level that they can achieve in the pool. So don't think about dryland as an all or nothing thing. It's really, especially for your lower level athletes and coaches, you know who those are in your group. If you can just get them a little bit better, get them from zero to two pull-ups, zero to three pull-ups, that's fantastic. So don't think, oh, I'm not going to have anybody in my group being able to do 35 pull-ups. I should just not try. Now, obviously, if you're the Chinese national team and you're trying to get there, you need to go ahead and, and follow these silly uh, standards that they've laid out. But I just, it kind of dawned on me that I hope people aren't taking that the wrong way in that if you're not elite elite in dryland, you cannot be an elite swimmer. Exactly. I, I've seen it different, but there are such low-hanging fruit things that you can do around dry land and developing strength and developing athleticism that even just a little bit helps. So I think that was the biggest thing for me now as I'm even explaining it here is that don't get frustrated if you don't have athletes at the top of their athleticism. Your dryland program, sometimes the simplest things, even improving a swimmer's shoulder mobility a little bit more, teaching them to hinge and developing that movement, getting them from zero or one or two pull-ups to a couple or even double-digit pull-ups. Those smaller, maybe sometimes seemingly insignificant wins are actually what you're really going for in dryland. And getting a swimmer from 35 to 40 pull-ups, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome if someone can do 40 pull-ups. But I don't know how much that helps especially if you're talking about an average swimmer, even a, a semi-national level swimmer. Maybe if you're fighting for a spot on the Olympic team and we're trying to exhaust every option, yes, we're probably wanting to do that. But it's also looking at how much time are you taking to do something like that. And if I am working with a swimmer going from 35 to 40 pull-ups, everything else better be clean. There be, better be no deficiencies in terms of their movement. Their other strength levels should be comparable to if we're trying to push pull-ups to that level. Everything else should be on that level. So I thought a great inside the Surge Strength Academy section for this podcast with this topic that I'm leading off would be how strong should swimmers be? So we're going to go back and review that in case you've kind of missed that. And it's a good exercise to just go through. And one of the points I'd make in the talk that we'll get to in a second is 
These standards may seem pretty high to you, but in general, in the general world of strength and conditioning, they're actually not that high at all. So again, going back to some of these standards the Chinese had, they're actually really high. And some of them are really not that high at all, like the vertical jump. So it's just an interesting mishmash with them. But I thought it would be a good lesson to review. And remember, this lesson is coming straight from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification, which you can check out in the Surge Strength Academy. There's also free Dryland 101 courses as well that are also taken from the Surge Strength Dryland Certification. We're having more and more coaches go through it now. It's awesome to see how much it is helping them have a foundation, not be confused about dryland anymore. And sometimes they're realizing, wow, I was completely doing dryland wrong. I have to remake it. And with the surge strength dryland curriculum, we're giving it to you in a very simple way so that you can understand and then turn around and implement. It's not going to be worth your time to learn high level stuff if you can't implement it. And so we're trying to make it as simple and as effective as possible. So then you can go make the best program for yourself. So that'll be the Inside the Surge Strength Academy segment coming up next. And then later on, we're in Dryland Talk. We're going to be talking to uh, Sam, one of our Dryland certified coaches. This is part two of a conversation that we've had earlier. Part one was in a few podcasts ago. And if you are at all interested, we need more Dryland certified coaches to work with Ritter. We are onboarding so many individuals and teams right now. It's awesome that we're helping more and more, but we, we need more coaches to help. So if you're at all interested, visit surge-strength.com. Scroll down. There's a tab there, the careers that you can learn more about the position and apply as well. And feel free to share too if you know anyone that you think that would be a good fit to be a Dryland certified coach with us at Ritter. Inside the Surge Strength Academy. How athletic and strong should swimmers be is the topic that I'm going to be covering in this lesson. And frankly, it's a good question because I can give you 50 different types of assessments and performance tests that you could do. But what I'm trying to do with the Surge Strength Drown certification is continually simplify it so that you're doing what matters most, what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck, so to speak, when it comes to especially the assessment and testing portion. Again, I could give you dozens of them, but at the end, how much does it really help you as a coach or if you're doing a swimmer and self-testing? So the first thing to remember, number one overall, and we've gone over this in previous lessons, is that the movement dictates the success of all other outcomes. So if the athlete can't move well, it frankly doesn't matter how strong or powerful you can get them. And by them not moving well, there's going to constantly be a ceiling of how much they can really improve. So remember, the movement is on the bottom of the pyramid, then strength is the next category that we care about, and then from there, we can advance the power and the endurance aspects of that. Remember, overall, with our dryland program, our goals are always to be more athletic and stronger when we're looking at how we're developing our swimmers. So keeping that in mind, I want to just quickly remind you, and again, this is a previous lesson as well, of just some of the athleticism qualities that we're looking at. And because these are going to come to pass in terms of the assessments that we do, you're going to actually be able to put a number to them. All right, how are they doing on this? And that way you can quantify, keep track. And the biggest thing is make adjustments and actually have your programming reflect where the athlete is, whether they're really strong in an area or really weak and you need to ramp them up slower. The biggest thing with this being tied to helping swimmers in particular, is a lot of these aren't going to look very swimming specific. 
And that's okay because remember, we're trying to build an athlete. And then when they jump in the water, as a swim coach, now you can put your swim coaching hat on and work on their technique and work on the training and work on the sets they're doing. But if a non-athlete jumps in the pool, that's always going to be harder to help them be a faster swimmer. So I hope that some of you are, are, especially through the first four modules, kind of getting over that everything doesn't have to look swimming specific or mimic swimming for it to end up benefiting swimming. So remember, that's the difference. And also remember, too, for a lot of your athletes, they're like this leaky pail. They have compensations everywhere. They're not moving well. They're weak in this area. And you're trying to put out water by, you know, getting a bucket with full of holes and you're, the water's already draining and you're wondering, why are we not getting better? And so the assessment allows us to objectively see where are those energy leaks? Where are those compensations occurring in each athlete? And athletes are going to be very different. And so therefore, the programming should reflect that. But then how do you do that in a group? We're going to get through all that and you're going to actually see that being applied in the later lessons in this module in particular. Because remember, at the end of the day, we are trying to build better athletes and those better athletes are going to generate faster swimmers. Now, the ideal swimmer's body, which again, we've gone over before, a high strength to body weight mass ratio, a strong core, and for them to be mobile. And the worst thing we want is to get stuck in this injury cycle where it's just never ending, especially for swimmers where they just take some time off and then they get injured again, take some time off, get injured again. What we want is to dry land to stop help or to help stop that cycle. And one of the big reasons dry land can do that is if you harness the assessment and the performance tests and take the data that you're going to see from these tests and then apply it in the programming instead of just programming blind and hoping it's going to just get better because they're sweating a little bit. And remember too, some of the most common causes of injury are poor technique, too much too fast, and imbalances. Well, after doing the movement assessment and performance tests, two out of these three, you're going to have a really good picture of where they're at. So the technique is its own thing, right? You need to learn how to coach the movements, and that's module two, making sure you're going over all those videos and the cues that you need to be giving your athletes. But the too much too fast, that depends on where you start the athlete. So after we go through the perform or the movement assessment and performance test, you're going to know exactly where do I start this athlete. And athlete A may have a different starting point than athlete B, and that's okay, but you as a coach need to know that so you can adjust accordingly. And also for the imbalances, you're going to really see that come in the movement assessments, but then you're going to be able to have solutions to actually deal with it and help your swimmers round out those imbalances so hopefully it's not going to lead to injury. Now remember, Strength is the mother of all qualities. We want to continually increase that because that then affects the power and the endurance capabilities that we have. So you're going to see that's reflected a lot in these general athleticism standards. So you have an attached PDF to this lesson that has it, and it's the performance test standards is the whole document. But I just wanted to highlight this bottom section first and go through it one by one. Now, when I put these standards out, I am not saying that a 10-year-old needs to be able to do all of these. Okay, there is kind of a sliding scale of this, but basically how I'm going to quantify this, I'm not going to give you a specific age or a, a number of years that they're swimming, they should have done this. What I'm going to say is basically, if you're trying to have a swimmer make a jump to a higher level of competition, and for the most part, I'm thinking around that sectional futures level, that kind of area, that jump, 
if you as a coach are working towards that in the water, you should be simultaneously working towards these goals. When a swimmer is able to compete at that level, these athleticism and strength goals are appropriate. So if it's a 14-year-old, you need to be working towards these. Now, once they're basically in high school, all of these apply as well. That's basically like, so obviously not all your high schoolers are going to be going to futures and beyond on that. And that's okay. But once they get into that senior level, that high school age, these standards are going to apply from there on forward. They don't stop even at the senior and the master level swimmers. We have had master swimmers that we've trained online through our surge strength programs into their 70s and beyond. And we still have these standards. It still applies whether you're 70 or whether you're 15. Now, how you approach it and the ramp process in terms of how are you progressing and doing overload and periodization, that may change a little bit based on the age and background. But the standard is the standard, and it applies once they're in high school and before if they're going for those big jump meets. And particularly, I'm thinking that sectional futures level is kind of the cutoff point. So deadlift number one, being able to do one to one and a half times their body weight for multiple reps, so at least two, with good form. Now, that may sound like a lot if you're thinking, okay, you know, I got my high school boy here. He's 180 pounds. That's at least 180 pounds, maybe even above 200. In the grand scheme of things, in terms of strength and conditioning and sports in general, that's actually not very good. That's actually, I would probably label that as uh, on the weaker side. And so these standards, I'm not really putting them that lofty. And that's why I think that blanket statement of basically, if your swimmers are in high school, they should be doing that. That's why, because I put the standards at that place. These are not the elite of the elite standards, or else it'd be deadlift of like three and a half times their body weight or something like that. And because the end goal is not for them to be great weightlifters. So frankly, I don't care about the weight that much. I just wanted to get to a general level where as a strength coach, I could say, okay, that's pretty accurate or pretty adequate. And it's going to be able to be applied to any swimmer, no matter what meet they're competing at. So deadlift one and one and a half times their body weight. Squat, same thing. Again, we're looking for multiple reps. I'm not really a fan, especially of the younger kids, of really trying to work for one rep maxes for a number of reasons. So that's why I'm saying at least do multiple reps at that weight. And two is a multiple rep. So if you can get three or four, great. But I'm trying to leave that open-ended because I don't want to push one rep max tests, especially for high schoolers and just not knowing the environment of that. And again, this should be applicable to all swimmers. So I want that to sink in that even your BB level, you know, barely A swimmers, even if they're in high school, they should be working towards that. They may not ever get to futures, that's okay, but you can help them become a greater athlete and that's going to help maximize their potential in the water. Pull-ups, 15 plus for male, 10 plus for female. I know a lot of you coaches are thinking, okay, a lot of my females maybe can't even do one or two pull-ups. That's okay. That's why you're taking this certification so you can understand how to program so that most of your females can be close to double-digit pull-ups. And especially with females, I feel it changes it so much when they know, man, I'm strong. I can do 10 pull-ups in a row. It helps with their confidence just as much as their strength. Push-ups, 50 plus for male in a row, nonstop with good form. So I'm not looking for the super fast because nobody's probably gonna be able to do 50 super fast either. I just want slow and controlled movement the whole time and never stopping up at the top or at the bottom for rest. Females, I'm looking for 35 plus on that as well. 
For the bridge combo, I'm looking that they complete it for that two and a half minute test. And we'll get into that if you're thinking, oh, I don't know what the bridge combo is. That's okay. We're having a whole lesson dedicated to it, but I just wanted to have the overview for this first lesson here. Kneeling rollouts, being able to eight with nose to the ground. You remember that exercise from a previous module, module two. And then the gut punch test, where we've talked about just the idea of being able to have uh, engagement in the core 360 activation and being able to keep that tension while you're breathing and punching. So being able to do one plus minute with that while keeping the tension. So again, this is in one of the PDFs that's attached to this lesson. Go ahead, save those, print them out. You're basically going to be referencing them for all of the lessons in this module. Now I've grouped these into a movement assessment category and then a performance test. So in the movement assessment, we're basically assessing the quality of the movement. I'm not really concerned about how strong they are necessarily. Now some of them may have a strength element, but what I'm really concerned about is how well are they moving? What does it look like? Does it look like they're an athletic in this movement? That's more the focus on the movement assessments. On the performance test, I'm looking for actual numbers. Okay, what's the performance that they can exert as an athlete? And we're going to actually objectify that in the data and write that down. So that just gives you an idea of how we're breaking them up as we go. What you don't want to get stuck on is continually repeating the assessments or the tests hoping for improvement. These are not something that you need to necessarily be doing every day by any means. And we're going to go over how often you should actually do these. And even if you don't want to do all of them, which should you definitely do? But just understand the programming in general, if you're doing a good dryland programming and taking all the lessons that we had in the previous modules, putting them together, and then as we go forward in the certification, that's how they're actually going to get better at these assessments and tests. So don't just keep doing the assessment and tests every day, hoping they'll get better. It's the global view that you have to look at your program. So again, the three PDF resources you need to download in this lesson so you can refer to them for the rest is the assessment and testing form. So what that is, is that's where you're actually recording the data for all the movement assessments and the performance tests that you're taking your athletes through. Then there's the movement assessment solutions PDF. What this is going to do is if, if you look through your movement assessment, you see, okay, what, where did the athlete not score as well? That's going to steer you in the direction of what exercise you need to give them individually for them to do in their function part of the workout. So basically before, after practice, as much as they can, and that's what's going to help them improve their quality of movement in whatever they were weak at. Then you also have the performance test standards. I just talked about that. That's where you're going to see those general athleticism standards. And then it's also going to tell you, based on where the athlete tested in their performance tests, what level in terms of the movement categories, if you remember those, level one, two, and three, generally what movement category is that athlete going to be in when you're doing the program. So again, make sure you save, download, have those out for review for all the rest of the lessons because you're going to want them and to be able to reference them as we're going through the lesson. Dryland Talk. Sam, welcome back to another Dryland Talk edition on the Surge Strength Podcast. Yeah, Chris, thanks, to, thanks for having me back. I'm glad to be back. So we introduced you to the audience, although some part of the audience already knows you because you're working with teams and individuals, but I think the greater mm -hmm. audience maybe isn't really aware of your background. I didn't even know some of the stories that you told, so that's pretty cool. But this time I wanted to kind of get inside your head a little bit of what are some cool success stories that you've had with whether it be the teams or individuals that you've been working with 
uh, with Ritter? Yeah, the, that's a great uh, question. Um, and, you know, over my time this last year, you know, I think I've had a lot of success and a lot of positive feedback, uh, you know, kind of, uh, if we, you know, I don't think we touched on this the first time we were able to talk, but, you know, everything I do is an evidence-based component to it. So when mm -hmm. I get a client and I onboard them, I look and research what is the current literature for, you know, uh, you know, 14-year-old swimmer. What does the current literature say about, uh, you know, a, a six-year-old triathlete or something along those lines? And I try to best fit and curtail my programs to them. Um, so I, and, you know, I have a, a a variety of clients ranging in that uh, range from, you know, being 11 years old to, you know, older triathletes. Um, and I guess one of the first clients that I got was a swim team up in uh, Canada. Um, and uh, Delano Ducek is the coach. Um, and he has been an awesome person to work with. Uh, he's very flexible. He's very laid back. Um, and, you know, he was you know, he's very prompt to respond. So we're able to have some good communication uh, about training. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, I think we started back in September and I remember in December before all of, you know, before COVID hit, they were going PRs during their mid-season meet. Like the majority of their, the majority of their high school team and their, uh, you know, high school swimmers were going PRs in the middle of the season. And he was just ecstatic. And he attributed a lot of that to the dry land training that we did. And, you know, I, I remember I knew that we were going to have a good relationship as a coach, as, as a coach relationship, because he, he, he knew a lot about you. He knew a lot about surge strength, but he also wanted to structure his dry land or he wanted to structure his swim training so that they could also do dry lands. And he kind of shaped it all around what mm -hmm. I did as a dry land plan, which, you know, um, it's important for strength training and endurance training for those to be, you know, in a utopic situation as far as possible away, just because right. of the different cellular pathways that uh, interact between endurance training and muscular growth. I um, mean, he was able to do that and they saw some really great results because of that um, too. Uh, another good story. And this was something that happened recently. Um, and it was so awesome. So we have, we have a, a female triathlete that trains with us. And one of the reasons that she started training with us is because at her world championships, it just didn't go well. And she felt like, you know, she didn't perform. Um, it didn't, you know, I, I think that, I think it was in Switzerland. So that was maybe the only good thing that happened about it. Um, but she just, you know, she hadn't really done any sort of strength training or she did, but it was through like a personal trainer at a local yeah. college and it was kind of disorganized and she did a bunch of classes. Um, and, you know, she's been strength training with us for about, maybe six, seven months. I, I can't remember when she actually came on board, but she would, she recently just compete competed in a uh, triathlon. Um, you know, she said she felt really good. She was kind of, you know, hadn't been training a ton going into it, but she had been doing her strength training consistently right. like three mm -hmm. times a week. Mm -hmm. um, and at the very end of, you know, once she was done, she went over to look at the results and she was looking at her age group and she didn't see her name there. And she found out she got second overall. <laughs> over of all the females and was just like, she got this big ax as a trophy that she sent me a picture of. And it was so cool. And just, you know, like seeing, seeing somebody have that, like just euphoric, like aha moment, like mm -hmm. yes, strength training works. Um, that, you know, that was awesome. And uh, you know, I'm really happy she was able to do that. 
And especially in endurance type events, right, Sam? Like that's, I think that's the biggest light bulb moment that I know I've personally had either training individuals, you know, a couple of people come to mind with like that similar triathlete endurance background or even swim coaches for them to not, you know, fully grasp until sometimes there's that light bulb moment of, wow, this, even though this strength training, you know, it just takes a couple seconds to do an exercise, right? And then it's done. How could that possibly help this event that takes hours long? But it really does. And if you do that consistently, it can be the anchor that then allows that endurance performance to go to a complete another level. Absolutely. And, it's, uh, and just from a, from a, from a, if we're going to talk about strength training and endurance training as a diet, um, and even down to like a cellular level, it provides your muscles a different stimulus that mm-hmm. you never get within any sort of endurance training. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it would be like if you only eat salad all the time, well, you're probably not going to you know, grow any muscle because you need to eat some protein. And you know, resistance training and strength training is the protein to your healthy athlete diet. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, another good success story, um, I worked with a high school age male. Um, and I work, you know, with him and his dad and his dad had a pretty good strength background, you know, knew what he was talking about. Um, and the most awesome thing about that is we were able just to kind of start progressing into doing some Olympic lifts mm. and kind of showing him, um, showing him how to learn and do those to increase some force characteristics within his yeah. muscles. Um, and you know, that th- they, uh, they're actually, they were, actually have to train with our high school team right now. So they're currently taking a break, but you know, they're, they're going to start training with us again in December. And uh, his dad was just so happy with how we as dryland certified coaches uh, were able to kind of show him the long-term process. And, yeah. you know, this is why we're not lifting really heavy weights right now, because right now we're not trying to get up, you know, um, right now we're not trying to get as strong as we possibly can. We're trying to teach you the patterns so that when you right. go to college, your strength coach in college can do so much more with you because you are so ahead of the curve and you're doing the things that you need to do to get yourself college weight ready. Um, yeah, that goes back, Sam, to like, you know, I, I, it, oh, it just irks me when coaches are like, no, let's just save dry land till college. And you're actually just putting the kid at such a disadvantage, right? Whereas if you extend it to us, we understand what the long-term play is still, right? Like we're not saying, hey, we're going to give this high school a college lifting experience, but the mm-hmm. fact that we can then onboard them four years out before that, that then is, enables them to have a great freshman year because if they go to college and they haven't lifted that freshman year, mm-hmm. that's going to be rough. It is, it is not probably going to be a great performance because it does take a long time to adapt, especially at a high level intensity of strength and conditioning program, which you know, if, if you are lucky enough to go to a college that has a full-time strength and conditioning coach, it's probably going to be a pretty quality program. And that means it's going to be intense. And athletes sometimes just need a year or two to, to understand how to take on all that added stress. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that uh, uh, his name is, his name's escaping me right now, but he's the head coach for Virginia Tech. I think it's Sergio. Sergio. Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of people attribute, you know, his, you know, his three you know, three studs that went into college with uh, Caleb Dressel, Joseph oh, yeah. Schooling, and mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy. Yeah, all of their strength coaches said they were college weight room ready. So, right. you, and you saw those results because all three of those guys were right. beasts as freshmen too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's even more. I, I think there, you know, there's a common misconception that 
you have to be a certain age before you lift weights. Mm-hmm. And there are really two things that you really need to be able to lift weights. Can you listen to instruction? <laughs> and are you able to follow, you know, follow, um, follow and get some feedback? Yeah. And if you're three years old and you can do that, you can lift weights. Right, right. I, I and- actually went to a conference where, uh, and his name's escaped me off the top of my head, but he did a case study with his son and he, his son started doing, he gave him protein like dosage and gave him like supplemented his diet with nutrition that way. And he did strength training with him at a very young age from five to about 18. And he outgrew and outperformed his genetic, like, um, what, uh, I'm, it's escaping me right now, whatever his genetic potential was going to be. He right. outgrew yeah, yeah. that. Yeah. Like yeah. Whatever systems. the doctor said, like at birth, like they're going to be this mm-hmm. tall or whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, I can yeah, see that a- with, with my son, Sam, like, I mean, he's, he's seven. He'll see me doing some kettlebell stuff. And I always ask him like, do you want to do that? And he kind of looks at it. Yeah. Maybe not. I'm like, okay, well it's not ready. And, and because yeah. he hasn't, he's not ready to take instruction and he's not, he's not interested in, in picking up that weight and learning how to do that. So therefore if, if a coach, you know, or, or somebody brought a kid like that to us, it's going to be much more of a play-based thing, right? Because he's just not mm-hmm. ready. He's not intentional on being doing that weightlifting. Whereas if he was said, yeah, dad, I want to learn how to do a goblet squat with a kettlebell. Well, great. <laughs> I'm going to be doing that with him. But you know, like you said, the, the kid's not ready to do that. So we're not going to force that on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I just, I like, I like debunking myths and, you know, as long as you are able to follow instruction, yeah, you know, you don't need to load weights heavy, but you know, anybody can lift weights. <laughs> That's the other thing too, the misconception of, because it's a, a, we're using weight, it's all of a sudden scary because it's going to be so heavy. Right. And that's the last thing we want is for it to be so heavy. You can't hold technique. You can't perform the proper rep range or sets, whatever volume we're looking for. And I, mm-hmm. I just, I get frustrated when people don't realize like we are professionals when we go about this and all of these things are going through our mind and it's not just, Hey, let's just throw some numbers. Let's pick some exercise out of a hat. I hope there's some success in this program, right? Like it's very thought through and from the assessment that we take a, you know, a kid or a team through all the way to then reassessing, like you said, this coach has his team doing PBs in midseason. Obviously, we're on the right track of how we're dialing in that program with what he's doing in the water and what we're doing on land. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think two other six stories that uh, are actually, I have three more stories that we can talk about too. I, <laughs> Go I, have, a, I have a younger client um, who, you know, just started training with us this last year. And you know, throughout the middle of the season was like, oh, my legs feel so much more powerful. I can just totally, you know, and I can even feel that transferring into my underwaters mm-hmm. because I feel like, you know, strength training is, you know, learning how to produce force from the ground. Yes. And that carries, you know, there aren't a ton of instances where that actually happens in swimming, but it does happen in your starts turns and it mm-hmm. can help in your uh, power and velocity in underwaters. Um, we have another client in Singapore that throughout this whole process is, uh, she keeps coming back to me that she is, she enjoys the variety and the explanations and that's helped make her a better coach that she's able to look at somebody we're working with I, her team. Mm-hmm, yeah. We're working with her whole team. So mm-hmm. in, in that, in, in that instance, it really kind of helps, you know, if, if I can help that coach become a better coach themselves mm-hmm. through this online platform, because you know, it's not the easiest thing to do and you have right. to be able to be a driven, you have to be able to, you know, checking it constantly, but she felt, she feels like she's become a better coach and she's able to 
look at, you know, biomechanics and human movement better because of the programming and the training that uh, we've been doing with her. Yeah. And also real, real quick now, just cause I know who you're talking about. That's been cool to watch her develop as a coach because she started with us with the strength training and really mm-hmm. starting to dial it in. And then the next year she went to another level of how much she was incorporating it. And now even she's joined the hive and is very active in the mentorship with Paul leading that up. And I can just see like the growth for her, even though she's been coaching a long time, like she's not stopping, right? Like she wants to keep learning and getting better, whether that's Triland or through the mentorship with the hive. So that's just a cool thing to, to hear on your side too. Yeah. And so like, you know, I think one of the most awesome things about Ritter is that it provides a resource for people that otherwise may not be able to afford that resource or may mm-hmm. not have access to a resource. And it is top of the line. It is, you know, professionals are running it. And, you know, it really just helps grow the swimming community and make it stronger. You know, we've seen a lot of growth in swimming over the past 10 years and people getting faster, bigger and stronger. Yeah. And, you know, Ritter has definitely helped grow that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you're, you're, you're part of that too now, Sam, and I'm glad you're on, on board. Did you have one more or was that it? Oh, uh, we had another team, uh, uh, Lakeshore in Ohio. Um, and one of the things that, you know, they were training with somebody else and they came and started training with us and they're, you know, they were just like, this is a night and day difference from the other stuff that we were doing. Like the kids are sweating, <laughs> the kids are, um, you know, they are, uh, you know, they're in, they're engaged. They like it. Cause you know, I, one of the things I like to do with the, young, we know with younger kids is I do a lot of, you know, just different fun movement patterns. Like, yeah. and I give them fun names, like we'll do like a lizard walk and a seal crawl and things <laughs> like that. Um, so just to make it fun, it's not just like, we're not just running and squatting and doing Mm -hmm, things, but we're just mm -hmm. challenging them because swimming in it, you know, water is a very fluid substance. It's not always going to look the same when you, you know, enter the water, your hand is not always going to go in the exact same place just because of the nature of water itself. So I think it's important for swimmers to be able to challenge their body, their flexibility and their strengths in you know, just a bunch of different ways just so that their, you know, their muscles and their ligaments can with, withstand some of those variations and catch, you know, catches and things like that in the water. No, that's awesome. Sam, it's great to have you back on the podcast. We're going to have to schedule you another time to come on and talk dry land, but uh, thanks for being part for a part of the team. I appreciate you and all the great work you're doing with the individuals and teams that are trusting us to help them get a little bit better. Hey, happy to help. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Have you joined the Surge Strength Academy yet? It's now free to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy and raise your dryland IQ. Visit surge-strength.com to learn more and enroll today. That's surge-strength.com to enroll in the Surge Strength Academy. The goal of Surge Strength is simple. Build better athletes to generate faster swimmers.